0: one thing that we are. We're an animal, but we're also the next stage of animals where we're
1: aware of who we are and we contemplate our existence. And when you contemplate your existence and you're an intelligent life form, you should always be seeking to improve. If you're always seeking to improve, the thing that you look at it like, what has brought me the most positive results?
2: Hey, it's Ronald Gibson again. This is Short Life Advice. Today
1: I have with me Josh Bright. Oh, I'm introducing myself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, my name is Josh Bright. Um, I've been a sales account executive at Schneider, uh, coming up on seven years. Um, when did I just, you start? Like what? You- I started. Probably March or no, nah, probably April or May mm. of 2013. I can track it because I got hired like right after my son was born. Like he was yeah. a, he was like a baby baby when I first started working here. He was like maybe two years old, two months old. Uh, so I can, I, it's very easy for me to track my like Schneider tenure because I'm just like, oh, how old's Frank? Six? Okay, I've been here six years. Sounds good. When was he born? February 23rd. Mike, he's got a Michael Jordan birthday. <laughs> yeah, nice. I was just testing
2: you, you know, in case your wife listens. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah February 23rd. <laughs> so I, I started right before you did, like a couple more months right before you, February of 2013. So then you, you know, a couple short months later.
1: Strong hiring times. Yeah,
2: for sure. Coming Strong up times. on seven years anniversaries for us both next year. There you it's go. Exciting time. <laughs>
1: <huh>? <laughs> What's the seven year anniversary?
2: I don't know. Cuter we get an email shout out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Except you have to do mine. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh,
2: I know your story before or a little bit of your story before Schneider. Uh, how about you tell the listeners, like your story, like what brought you to Schneider? And then were you in sales before then or,
0: uh,
1: yeah, I've lived a lot of life. Um, (laughs) I, I so I started in college I went to college as many people at Schneider know about me at the University of Florida I started doing improv at the University of Florida um, and I kind of knew, I knew exactly about it I knew I wanted to do it at UF because even in high school I had, I had done speech and debate in high school and we mm-hmm. came and saw a we came and did a tournament here at uh, Glenbrooks um, out in the suburbs and we saw a second city show when I was in high school and I feel like there must have been somebody famous on it just for the time. Like, it would have been that, like, Tina Fey, Rachel Dratch era. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I saw the Second City show and went, oh, that's what I want to do. Like, it was, mm-hmm. it was, I was 18, 17, 16, around there. And had, like, a very much, like, epiphany of, oh, okay, this is it. And also, I just really liked Chicago when I was there. And I had grown up in Florida. I was born in Hollywood, Florida, uh, in Plantation, Florida, down near Fort Lauderdale. And I just needed to get <laughs> I needed to get out of Florida. Um, it was it was a great place to grow up. And I was by the time I was eighteen, I was I was kind of done. Um, and I knew because I hadn't had friends from high school that had gone to the University of Florida that were older than I uh, that had said, "Oh, there's this improv troupe. And I went, "That's awesome." Mm-hmm. So I went. I did the improv troupe for four years. That was great. Very formative time in my life.
2: What's the what was the, your like your major? What was Public it? Public relations. Oh, Okay.
1: Yeah. No, I wasn't a theater major. I just I yeah. didn't I didn't see the value. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so so kinda... you did improv? Were you first looking to get in comedy, or was it always acting? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, they're kind of you, they're kind of one and the same. Yeah, improv so... improv is a lot different than like a stand up. Where like stand up, you're like honing your craft. And mm. you're, I mean, it's it's you're, it's the same thing but different. So with stand up, you're writing jokes, you're honing your craft, you're going up every night and just bombing, 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 bombing. bombing. And really, like, crafting and tweaking jokes. Mm -hmm. Like, stand-up comedians are are amazing because they, I I wouldn't have the patience or the wherewithal or to just, like, literally tweak one joke and then do it the same over and over and over. I get bored very fast. Mm -hmm. And the idea of doing just, like, the same routine over and over and over every night, um,
0: bored the the living hell out of me. Yeah, i heard uh-huh.
2: Rogan talk about it. they like test it out in small uh-huh. little venues, small yeah. little bars, and then they fail and fail and fail and fail. Fail and fail and fail, yeah. and fail and fail
1: and fail until all of a sudden they word it, like they change one word, and that one word is like Stomp Stomp Clap. <laughs> yeah. And like they're like, oh, Okay, well now I have that joke, and they do that for forever and ever. Mm-hmm. Um improv, you're just like meeting as a group. I people always ask me, like, can you rehearse improv and I think of it almost the same way of like sports like basketball mm. You can't rehearse a, you know, a basketball game isn't going on a script like you you know you yeah it's it's an entire basketball game is an improvised performance it's just sport yeah uh, but you practice basketball you practice the skills in basketball to get better for when you're put in that live fire situation of a game you know what to do mm-hmm. so you rehearse improv and you rehearse the skills of improv and you rehearse the tenets of improv so when you're put on stage you know what to do, and you're not like panicking. That's why people think like, "Oh, it's crazy that you can get up and and do that, and you know, stand in front of a group having no idea what you're going to say." Somebody gives you one word, and you perform 45 minutes based off of that one word. It's because you've practiced over and over and put in the you know Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours yeah. to to know that when you stand up there, you have full confidence that you you're you're going to you're going to say something and something funny is going to come out of your mouth and it'll be
0: fine.
2: I mean, you can apply that a lot to life, just it's all about the the process that you have in place and, mm-hmm. the, and the habits that you are, that you have daily, that you implement in your own life, that's sure. going to make you stronger for when you do go into the actual game, yeah. but, you know, or life, whatever part of life you're applying it to, whether oh, absolutely. it's sales or improv <laughs> or... Yeah,
1: whatever, whatever, it whatever. It just you you practice the skills necessary, so when you're put in that situation, you don't panic, you're prepared. Mm-hmm. So you Um, graduated Florida mm -hmm. and then... uh... Moved up here uh, on on April Fool's Day. What was that? 2015, maybe? Uh, No, 2005. Uh, 2005, uh, me and my buddy Drew Corb uh, got in a U-Haul and drove up from Gainesville, Florida to Chicago. Mm -hmm. We had already had an apartment rented by some crazy old man. (laughs) Uh, My first Chicago apartment was... Disgusting. <laughs> uh, was It uh, It was nice. It was in Southport, isn't that Southport oh, okay. corridor? Okay. But it was this old, old building that was just <laughs> freaking <Yeah>. gross. <laughs> um, and uh, we just started taking classes. I, um, my first, my first job in Chicago was working at the uh, it used to be a Bennigan's. I don't even think they have Bennigan's anymore. Mm. Um, right across from the uh, Art Institute. was They kept... The, they were very proud. It was the busiest Bennigans in the country. Yeah. And I always had a theory that, like, Bennigans, like, they had to be dirty. Like, that was a corporate policy that they weren't <laughs> allowed to keep the place clean because we used to go to the Bennigans in Gainesville and it was disgusting. And mm. then I started working at the one here and it was disgusting, which is why I think it's okay that I'm saying this because I don't even think they exist anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then I... Tried to get a job at a temp agency and ended up working doing sales for that temp agency, mm. um, working for them uh, for about a year, and then it just was like, this isn't what I came here to do. Like I came here to do improv and to be an actor, and uh, to to give that a shot. And so for about five years, I was you know waiting tables and being a working actor in Chicago, mm. um, and doing improv and that's kind of two halves. It was like the improv half was like a lot at night. Um, and, you know, you'd have rehearsals at night and all your shows would be at night. And I'd be at some, you know, at IO or, or second city or some, you know, the, the top floor of some bar at, you know, 1030 on the Tuesday doing mm-hmm. shows for basically whoever was performing and whoever they could muster together. You how's know, how's it work? You're
2: like in a, a queue almost of, they, they have a list of people that they can,
1: so they'll, they'll For usually like a cast
2: like they're trying to,
1: you'll, you'll usually be a team. Like you'll, you'll, you and some friends will like put together a, a troop, a team. You'll give yourself some like ridiculous name. Cause that's like 75% of the fun of being an improv troupe is naming the improv troupe. <laughs> and after okay. you've done that, it's all downhill. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you'll, you'll, you know, rehearse or you won't like sometimes you just, it's just you and your buddies screwing around. Mm-hmm. And then if it's, uh, you know, at IO they have like house teams, right? Like they are all under the Improv Olympic IO umbrella. Mm-hmm. They're all registered house teams with that, and they'll create like a monthly schedule and say, okay, on you know Tuesday nights in this theater, we're going to have this team, this team, this team. And they'll they'll, they'll block out the schedule and they'll literally set, send you a schedule like one or two months in advance of
0: mm-hmm.
1: these are all your shows. At bars, like people will just run shows out of bars, or they'll run shows out of loft spaces or wherever, and that's a lot more like, you know, fly by the seat of your pants where like, you know, the night before you'll get a call from a buddy that does that, that hosts a bar show going, Hey, you got anybody that wants to perform and you go, oh, I got my group and you'll send out, uh, like a group text or you'd send out an email. Like you're talking like 10 years ago. So it's not like yeah. every, everyone had an iPhone, you know, it was yeah, like yeah. mostly emails or phone calls or texts or whatever. And, uh, you'd all meet at that bar and drink and have fun nice. and do, and do a show. It was, those are more like just recreation that's just more fun than like you think you're gonna get seen you know like it's just like that's what you do it for like that's the fun part of it and then the other side was I would audition for on-camera stuff um Mm -hmm. and I would get calls you know the night before um going into a casting agency that was running you know auditions for some Burger King commercial and I'd go in and be some idiot, you know, working the counter at a Burger King, yeah. <laughs> you know, like,
2: how many like, people would be interviewing or like, you know, essentially interviewing for that
0: position? Yeah.
1: Like auditioning for it. Yeah. Um, I mean, for a commercial, it's usually tw- anywhere from 20 to if it If it's just a normal commercial, like, cause again, the other thing I did after I was an actor was I was a casting agent for five years. So mm. I worked at the casting agency mm. and if it's like, let's say it's just like a Burger King like kind of that middle tier. It's not the like lower tier, you know, Illinois lottery commercial, yeah. you know, and it, but it's not like a huge Apple campaign, right? Like it's just that one, one off King commercial, 20 to 30 people per, per spot. So if there's three characters, you call in about like you know, 60 to 70 people and it's split evenly amongst who's in there for a big, you know, Apple campaign, you know, going, that's going to go for a year you'll see hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds, Oh, over three cities. Like they'll do, you know, Chicago, LA, New York, and they'll see 200 people per city mm. because they have to be able to go back to their boss and say, we saw 600 people yeah. and this is the best guy. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: okay. um, the funny thing is when you do castings for TV shows and movies, which actually require way more acting skill and way more, you know, uh, Uh, finesse, you know, to do like a really intense role on say like a Chicago fire, you'll see like six people (laughs) because like they don't, they don't care. Like they're, they're so behind the gun at all times in the production schedule of those shows. Like they just want to see, just show us the six best people. We don't care. It's fine. Just show us the six best and Mm. then they'll pick one of the six best and then they'll move on from there. So it's funny that like the pool is way more narrow for something that requires a lot more, skill
0: hmm.
2: what was uh, didn't you get or what was your like most proudest like um like
1: commercial or like small I,
2: show or anything the only like thing you know, i
1: booked I, mean? I booked a movie um where i was a small role i was in the movie a lot i didn't say anything i was like the like weird mute didn't someone
2: famous like yeah 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 it was yeah it was
1: Stephen young it was uh the guy that's and uh, uh, Walking Dead. Walking Dead. Yeah. yeah so we're still like the we're Asian, still yeah, buddies. Nine, yeah, 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 yeah. We just yeah. we still text because we're still friends based on doing this movie like eight years ago. Yeah. Because we spent so much time together like for a week, and he's a I mean he's the nicest dude. Um, That's. But we played we played a band. There was three of us. It was a guy named Levi Holloway who still lives in the city. Um, uh, he does a lot of non for profit work now. Uh, Steve. And then me, and we were like a band in this movie. Okay, uh, and so we were just like on set.
2: What instrument did you play?
1: I was the drummer. Okay, I All taught right. myself how to play drums. <laughs> nice. I taught myself how to fake play drums. <laughs> yeah, in in like a week. They were like, okay, well you got to be a in Muncie, Indiana in a week. Oh, by the way, you're a drummer. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. So I like bought drumsticks, and then st- I think Stephen actually t- played drums. He was like, just do it like this, and then they shot us from really far away like they at first shot us up close and i think like i i I threw a drumstick like accidentally (laughs) like i was like going all over the place and they were like okay that was really great guys okay we're gonna get one more shot and they moved like 60 feet back (laughs) so that they could get like the crowd shot but it was clearly we had screwed it up so badly and it was so evident that none of us knew that what we were doing. That they were like, "Well, I guess if we shoot this from sixty feet away, we can hide it a little." bit. Nobody time. will notice. Yeah, yeah. nobody, <laughs> nobody will notice that the drummer doesn't know how to play drums and the guitarist <laughs> doesn't know how to play guitar.
2: I oh, wonder how much like TV shows or movies people do the same thing. Oh, a million percent. Yeah.
1: Anytime like something's like shot over the shoulder, it's because they're like trying to hide something.
2: That's hilarious. Yeah. How did
1: because your wife's in acting, right? How mm-hmm. did did you meet her yep. somewhere in this? Oh yeah. She was, uh, she was friends. She, she did improv does. I mean, she's, she still does it. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, she's still actively performing and she was friends with a lot of my college buddies that had moved up before me. Like the, the guys that were a year or two older than me had already moved up. They were already taking classes and she's a year older than me. So she was in classes with them. And so when I moved up, clearly the first people I'm going to start hanging out with are my old college friends. Cause those are the people I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just ran in those similar circles. And like, I saw her do some shows and then we were at uh, my friend Mike's birthday party. Um, and we just started talking like out on a, uh, out on, you know, on like one of the balconies or like one of the. Staircases in, in a Chicago, right. you know, brownstone, and we just talked all night, and then I walked her home, and we went on a date the next day, and it was great. The rest
0: is history.
1: Yeah, the rest is history. I think Mike had a crush on her, so I think <laughs> I like destroyed Mike. We won't let Mike listen to this. <laughs> yeah, Mike's fine. Mike's doing. Mike's doing fine. Yeah, it all, everything works out the way it's supposed to work out. For
2: sure. You, uh, she had a little more success than you did, right? Oh, a million
1: percent. She, she, she's she's way more talented than me. You showed
2: me it. I've
1: actually. You showed
2: me the commercial, but I saw mm-hmm. it a million times. It was uh, what was the commercial for? Uh, in... The most recent
1: one she was in a Geico commercial. Yeah, the Geico one. Um, the and they Yard keep playing song. that one. That one's done, but uh, they played it a lot in the first quarter of this year. She's had incredible success. She was um, on the uh, Second City resident stage. So mm-hmm. like, those, when people say I went and saw a Second City show,
2: yeah,
1: it's that show. That's like awesome. she was on one of their main stages. So like um, the stand up. Or what, or, or what? No, like, their sketch show.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, they're, I'm like, the main yeah, stage. Yeah, you know yeah, what
1: yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, yeah that show. Yeah. Um, She auditioned for Saturday Night Live. They flew her out to New York. Um, and she auditioned, like, on the set of Saturday Night Live. Wow. Um, she ended up getting hired. They hired uh, some young 23-year-old. Uh-huh. But, but just the experience of, like, flying That's out. Cool. She was... And all of the funniest thing... The funny thing is she found almost all of her commercial success um, after she got pregnant. Like we were, you know, we had dated forever. We dated for five, six, seven years, finally got married. We were hanging out. She had never been offered anything. She had second, she, she had toured with second city for a while, for a long time,
0: Mm.
1: uh, on one of their touring companies. And she got to go all over the world. One of her first tours was two weeks in, in Vienna, which was amazing. Um, and but they never asked her to be on a residence stage, and there was me- multiple opportunities, like you know all these women coming and going, um, and they just never did. So she, you know she goes, you know it's it's time. Let's start trying to have a family. So she gets pregnant. She's like eight and a half months pregnant. And if you want like a life lesson, it's like take the opportunity, like say yes, <laughs> because she's eight and a half months pregnant, and they called her and were like, we know this is probably bad timing but do you want to, we would like you on the resident stage if you'd like to do it. And she's like, well, of course now you're asking me now that, you know, I'm about to have a baby in tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. And we just had a real heart to heart. And we were like, this is, you've been waiting for this opportunity for five years. Like you can't turn it down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And her family moved to Chicago. Folks moved here to help us take care of Frank. Oh. When he was first born. Oh, wow. Man, that, yeah. It was amazing. Um, And she, she did it. She, you know, on no sleep and and no nothing. And when they're in process, so the way a second city show run, they'll, you know, they, they never close down, right? They're constantly running their show. They Mm -hmm. never stop. But they, when they're turning over from one show to another, they'll just say, okay, this show ends today. And if there's any cast members switching out, like if somebody's leaving, they leave and another person comes back in. And at night they'll be running the same show. And then during the day they'll be writing new ter- material for mm. the next show and they'll slowly over the course of like two months start to take out old material and sub in new material until all of a sudden it morphs from one old show to one new show mm.
0: and okay. then they have uh, and then they have
1: a lot li- you know they say okay this is the new show it gets a new um, title and they go okay well here's the new show and they have an opening night and they run the new show until it's time to run it down so for two months, They're basically slowly morphing one show into another show. Mm. But what that means is you are there from like nine in the morning until midnight. Like you're, you're eh, 10 in the morning till like midnight every night, Mm. uh, every day, forever. (laughs) And so now do that. And also you just had a baby. And even when you get home at midnight, you can't sleep because you have a baby.
2: Wow. Yeah. So she was. That
1: was probably some tough time.
2: Yeah, It was all right. (laughs) mercy.
1: yes, uh, but, but we made it work. I was also in grad school at the time. Um, mm. so it was wild, but I, I don't remember anything like, yeah, <laughs> like I, I have no memories of it. It's a, it's an entire blur. Um, but she made it work. And from that, you know, she got called to the Saturday night live cause they saw her at second city and she mm. got to do that. And she's done most of the TV shows in Chicago that have filmed here. She's had roles on them. Um, she got to she got to do an episode that one of I think if you asked her her crowning achievement was she got to do an episode of uh, Shameless uh, with William H Macy and like she got to be in a scene with William H Macy and then like got to ride the van back and forth with just like her and William H Macy like in the van. Um, is she
2: visible in the scene
1: and everything? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah absolutely. You have to let me
1: know what I'll uh, find episode it yeah. is. Yeah, I love that show. It's it was the heat wave episode in one of the last seasons. Oh. Okay. She's the one that asked for the uh, phone charger. Like, they're selling phone, they're selling, like, electricity or something. Mm,
2: Yeah, they're like uh, William H. Macy's trying to go around and scam people or something, I think. Yeah, (laughs) which
1: is every episode of Shameless (laughs) all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'll
2: have to rewatch that.
1: Yeah, so she's in that. Um, She's in Chicago Med. She's been in a bunch of commercials. She was in a commercial when she was pregnant. Um, they didn't intend for the character to be pregnant, but they were like, Oh, this is hilarious that you're pregnant.
2: Um, and just ran with And it. They just
1: ran with it. So she is a very much like a, just say yes and we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if, there is ever somebody that has benefited from just say yes and we'll figure it out because she absolutely probably should have said, no, I can't do the second city shade stage. I'm about to have a baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and she just was, we just said, you can't turn this down. It's not going to come again. Yeah. I mean, all these opportunities
2: and the, that she's getting now and like developing as a person and human being, she's like so much better off from it. And probably you are too, and the family yeah. is, and probably wouldn't be where you're at if she wasn't well, had that type of mindset.
1: Yeah. Because we, we, we don't have too many regrets. Like, we've done everything we've wanted to do. Like, I know you're going to ask me, but this is just a good for like, what, what is a noticeable failure that I've learned? And for my acting career, like I I don't even call it a failure. It just wasn't for me. Mm. Like that movie that I did, like I had a a lot of fun. That was the last thing I ever did because that was my moment of, this isn't for me, man. Like I had a lot of fun jerking around on a set and Mm. like having fun. But when it came to the actual acting, like I didn't care. It wasn't anything I was passionate about. Mm. And if there's anything, that every acting teacher will tell every class they ever have is if you can see yourself doing literally anything else, do anything else, because Mm -hmm. this is a job that requires way too much sacrifice and the odds of you being financially successful are slim to none and it's going to be constant rejection, which is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It sucks. And if, if you're not passionate about the work, it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't passionate about the work. So I was like, well, i got to figure something else out. But I, it also had me meet my wife, and it framed the person I would become later. And I don't have to look back when I'm like 55 years old and go, oh, if only I had started a band. And like, you look back on everybody with like regret and anger because you didn't do the thing you were passionate about when you had the time to do it. Mm-hmm. I did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm cool <laughs> you know what I mean and like you learned a ton from it and, I learned
0: like, a ton you, from
1: it yeah like and and I don't perform now because I just lost my passion for it I just every once in a while I'll do a show but it got to the point where like I, you know I'd be leaving the house at 8 p.m. on a Saturday to go to a show and I just didn't want to leave the house mm-hmm. I was like well if that's the case then why am I doing this because it's not I fi- find something else that, yeah. that I can be that can be an outlet and I can be passionate about. Mm-hmm. Sure. What, so how did you hear about Schneider?
2: And then why did you want to get in? Cause you're doing a little bit sales with the, the, the recruiting. Oh yeah. I only did whatever. that for like a year. <laughs>
1: um, so when I was at the casting agency, again, it became one of those things where like this, it was fine. Like I, it was a very fun job when I was 25 years old and I had a, uh, uh, a girlfriend in an apartment I was renting. And then all of a sudden I was 30 years old and I had a wife and Mm. and a child on the way. (laughs) I was making roughly $3,000 more a year than I was five years ago when I had started.
0: Mm.
1: And I was like, it's, I got to figure something. And I was working 10 hour days. Mm. Like I I looked at my bosses and saw like that they didn't have the time for their families that they wish they had had. And it wasn't nearly an interesting enough job or paying me anywhere near where it needed to, to make that worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also had never worked in corporate America ever. <laughs> I had one year working as a temp at a temp agency where like everyone was a lunatic. So like <laughs> we're we're not gonna go ahead and call that corporate America.
0: Yeah.
1: Um so I decided to go back to grad school and I got an MBA from DePaul just as a like I, I didn't know what else to do. Um I don't know if that if I have a regret it might be that because I don't know if I necessarily got out of it uh what I needed to for how much it costs and, mm-hmm. and the debt that I'm in now.
0: Yeah.
1: Um I don't know if I would advise somebody to to necessarily do that, but it's really an individual decision. Mm. Um but they came and, and spoke at my grad school it was Sarah Whaling and somebody else. That was just some recruiters. Oh. Um I think maybe Aaron Tobin was there. Okay. And they came and spoke and said, Oh, we're always looking to hire people and I was like, okay, well I'll give this a shot and Wow. Um I, I, had, I didn't know if I was going to do it, but I uh, came in and interviewed and I really liked the office and I liked the vibe and um, if nothing else, it would have given me better hours than I was currently <laughs> working and more of an opportunity to support my family. So you just had to go 100K
2: in debt, you know, to find Schneider.
1: It wasn't that bad, was but it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't far days. off. It wasn't far off. I didn't need to be in grad school to get this job. I would say grad school is not a requirement to be a account executive for in Schneider. Any sales, really. <laughs> in any sales. Um, but that's how I found it. Cause yeah. I was in grad school.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, I suppose if I ended up wanting to go into leadership down the line, it's not a bad thing to have in your back pocket. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Um, and I don't know if it's more the program itself or just what I was prepared to get out of it at the time. Also, again, I had a, you know newborn child and a wife that i barely saw so it's yeah, like you know you're you're i literally don't remember much of that time <laughs> yeah. and i think that's mostly just sleep yeah. um but your heart
2: wasn't all there just like it wasn't in you know the acting and that's why you really felt
1: well like- my heart was my heart was all in the acting it was just the realization that i, I didn't care about it like yeah. like i you don't know, no one does no one half asks acting for yeah. a living like well
2: yeah I, that's what i meant you know i mean i wasn't saying that you weren't giving it your mm-hmm. all because i mean
1: yeah I no i mean if i wasn't giving grad school my all i wouldn't have finished because there was no way i would have <laughs> been able to do it yeah it was too much it's just too much work to like half ass and still complete um actually there's a really funny i something was going wrong with a load one day And I was at grad school and I called up Berja because I didn't know who else to call. because whoever, I think Soila was my manager at the time was like on vacation and we didn't like our uh, system of like uh, leadership wasn't as in tune as it is now. Mm -hmm. So I just called Berja I'm like, Berja, I don't know who else to call. A load is failing and I'm about to go take a final. You got to help me.
2: (laughs) I didn't realize you were still taking your MBA when you joined Schneider. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. For about a year and a half. Oh. Yeah. Because okay. um, they were pretty early on when I was there. It was a two-year program, and I think I met the people at Schneider at like six months in. Okay. so yeah, for about a year and a half, I was working at Schneider. Mm. What would you say? Did you struggle
2: early on at Schneider, or like what was your first, or did you succeed really quickly, um, or like what was your start at Schneider as far as sales and it was adjusting from the whole
1: yeah different um, lifestyles. No, I mean, I I started off just plugging phones and like hundred calls. I think my first year I averaged like a hundred calls and three hours talk time for like a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see a ton of return for like the first three months, but I kept, you know, everyone just kept saying like, just keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. And then it was at that three month mark that it really just started to kind of take off a little bit and, Um, The same way we see with Danny now where he, you know, just success begets success and he gets all these referrals and all that.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Like compounds
1: itself. Yeah, compounds itself. I think I I hit close to like 20K at six months, which back when, you remember when you and I started 20K at six months was... Yeah, it's
0: pretty
1: incredible. Yeah, like just for the systems that we had in place. Um, And uh, yeah, so that was... after that first three months, all the work that I had done prior, but yeah, it was first year here is a slog, man. Mm-hmm. You just got to do it. Uh, um, and if you don't, you're not going to be successful. And if you do, you will. It's just, it's
2: legitimately that simple. What's the, uh, I feel like you gained a lot of uh, valuable insight, just battling through your early days as you know, in your, the real world career when it comes to acting and everything and failed a ton. Was there anything that you, you took from, those failures or just not succeeding or we're just, just battling through grinding between the retail being a server and then, you know, Oh yeah. Acting as I as well, mean, like that you applied because it seemed, is that where you got your work ethic or where do you?
1: Um, I don't know if it's where I got it or it's like I have the work ethic and so everything else just, is what it is. Mm-hmm. I would say what helped me a lot in this job, if there's any life experience that helped me a lot in this job, is that rejection does not bother me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just doesn't. Uh, because I, you know, as an actor, as uh, whatever, like it's, it's, it's a daily occurrence. Mm-hmm. Um, going out on stage and bombing is <laughs> almost funny at this point. Yeah, uh, yes. Like, I just, it I mean That's a great life me.
2: lesson. That's an underrated life lesson to have because it applies with everything. Just approaching other people that you don't know, you know what I mean, and, and building relationships and, you know, meeting women or mm-hmm. your anything when it comes to having the confidence or – because most of the time it's just a fear of what someone else will do or say or whatever the company will do or say – you know, and then, and then failing, that's mm. the most, the fear of it all. So well, I mean, if you, if that's the intake we gain from it, it's huge leading into anything in life.
1: I remember when we were in our training class, uh, some of the folks in my training class who, my training class turned out to be amazing. Like We're all, uh, you know, the people that have stuck around are, are captains of the industry here, you know, like it, we're doing very well, but um, mind the people that are left is, uh, Lanier, uh, Nicole and, uh, Corey Diener. Goldfarb? Uh, Goldfarb. Yeah. Oh, okay.
2: Oh, and Corey Dean. And Corey oh,
1: okay. Dean. Those nice. are the folks that are still left, but like Zerbis who did really well. Oh yeah. Um, so anyway, so it was, but I remember folks like when they gave us a live phone, um, and probably not Corey or Nicole or but some folk being intimidated by that. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just wasn't because I, I don't know if it was also the life experience. Like I was also 10 years older than everybody else in that training class. (laughs) So like it's, it, it, there's a certain amount of that, that like, you know, yeah. Um, but it's, what's the literal worst that happens? They say, no, thank you. And hang up the phone. Like Uh I, no one's going to shoot me. (laughs) No one's going to shoot you. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get fired if this cold call doesn't work out. Yeah. So just just do it. It's yeah. fine. It's a great mindset to have.
2: Uh, Lead in anything. It's like mm-hmm. what's the worst that could happen? You know, Going into everyone's the most the largest fear of anyone, even over death, is fear of public speaking. Sure. Same thing. Yeah, you know? it's like most of the people, the calls that you're making, the other person on the other phone, most don't care yeah. if, you, if you fumble over your words or you do anything. The same thing if you're public speaking to a group of 10, 15, or 100 people, mm-hmm. most of the people are half paying attention, you know, same as being on the other side of the phone. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's, it's you're not going to die if you no. fail, you know, if you embarrass yourself
1: and that's
0: or, a,
2: and it's only on your own perspective of embarrassments. So yes.
1: You know? And that's, unfortunately, that's a thing I've never had. Like the that's fear good. of public speaking, I, have plenty of fears, you know, heights, mm-hmm. <laughs> a million things. But public speaking is just not uh, a thing that's ever bothered me. I, I, I vaguely remember it. I think I was like maybe eight. I went to some like sleepaway camp and for the talent show I decided to do stand-up
0: mm. and like
1: wrote a stand-up routine about like camp jokes. Like I think I took my hat off and like something fell out. It was like, it was real uh, uh, camp, care, yeah. real camp jokes. Yeah, nice. Um But I remember that the counselors telling my parents when they picked me up, like this kid, like he was like the youngest one by three years, and he gets up and goes. So I I am fortunate that that has never been a thing. But I think a a way maybe to get past it is perspective. Of you're standing in front of a group, you know, all the eyes on you, and I can understand how that's an that brings on anxiety, and then all of a sudden you you know you start going into a flop sweat, you start breathing. But if you can remember like nothing bad is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Literally the worst thing that happens is maybe someone doesn't laugh at your joke or whatever. If you can keep that perspective, maybe that's a way to overcome that fear of public speaking.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. That's good. I always try to think, what am I thinking in the audience? My Mm -hmm.
0: own
2: self. A lot of times it's, you know, I'm barely, I'm struggling to pay attention or whatever it Mm -hmm. is, you know, just on my own internal chatter. Yeah. You know, so it's like. Most of these people are doing the same stuff, so yeah. it's like don't make it bigger than what it has to be.
1: No, not nothing is nothing is as important to the audience as it is in your mind right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, and that's very easy to say, like because someone could very easily like like I said, I have a fear of heights, but I go rock climbing, but I won't do that's that. What I was like, going to ask
2: you actually. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, is that why you
1: do it? You just put in your. Yeah, part of it is, uh, but but I don't do harness climbing. Like I can't do it. Mm. Um, I do what's called bouldering, which is like 12 12 to 15, 16 feet up at the highest, and then there's crash pads. so you're not um you're not strapped to anything and if you fall, you just land on the crash pad. and in like three or four years I think I've maybe had an uncontrolled fall like twice. Mm. Um, and you land on the crash pad and you're fine. Mm. But there's also the harness climbing uh, you know with ropes and you're going up five stories. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I get up twenty five feet and I start having a panic attack, and I just I have to get down. And I know, I know intellectually, that there is less of a chance that I will actually get injured doing that than bouldering. Mm-hmm. Because if I boulder, if it, I mean, I'm I'm on borrow time bouldering. Eventually, I'm going to fall and I'm going to tear a knee, and that's just going to be what it is. Because <laughs> I'm I'm genetically inclined. Like my grandfather had his knee replaced, my <laughs> dad had his knee replaced, like. I just know eventually I'm going to fall. I'm going to hit something weird. I'm going to tear a knee and that's going to be it. Um, That's not the case with harness climbing. Like you lower yourself down very softly. It's it's actually probably safer than bouldering. That doesn't matter to my brain. (laughs) My brain goes, you're too high, starts just injecting adrenaline into my eyes. And like, I can't, I freeze. I can't do anything. So, it's very easily easy for me to go, Wow, public speaking's fine. You'll get over it. Yeah, well, at the yeah. same time, I can't climb, you know, 25 feet.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Because, I mean, it's all in – it's basically all in our head, mm-hmm. you know. So, so if you can somehow
0: recognize when
2: that starts in your head of the anxiety starts to mm-hmm. pick up and then maybe take deep breaths or whatever it may be. That's what, I mean, that's what helps me – even sometimes I'll still, especially early on, I I got real nervous when it Mm -hmm. comes to public speaking. And, you know, sometimes I still do. And I'll, well, I'll, simple thing I do is to take a couple deep breaths, like four or five deep breaths, just like a meditation, just focus on my breath. And that's it. And that usually helps me. And it's shown to actually help people lower anxiety and uh, angst and all that. But
1: so there's times, especially even with bouldering, like when I get to the top of one of the high walls, it's like 16 feet, there will be times where like the next move feels very dangerous. And I know it's not. And I know it's just my, you know, anxiety and my fear of heights that's keeping me from like doing literally, it can be eight inches of getting my hand from one hold to eight inches to the top of the wall so I can grab the top of the wall where I'm truly safe. Because if I have, if I can hold the top of the wall, my grip strength at this point, like I'm not going to fall. I've, I've slipped my feet have slipped and I've been holding the wall and i have just like held on. Mm. Um, But it has, it sometimes will take me two or three tries at that because you also kind of have to know exactly what you're going to do. And what I, what I eventually have to do is get to that highest point. That's the point right before I finish and just go, okay, these are, these are step one, step two, step one, put my foot here. Does that feel good? Okay. That feels good. Step two, reach up eight inches. Mm. And once I get that eight inches, then I'm good. I can reach out my other hand, it down. slow it down, <laughs> just break it into steps of my foot needs to go here. My other foot needs to go here. Then I can safely reach up my hand and grab that. And I just had to do it this weekend mm. um, for, a, 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 they're called problems. The roots are called problems for a problem that I, it took me two try. It took me two separate visits to that gym to finish that mm. because the last move felt so unstable. Um, and that's what it is. Is if you if you just don't feel stable or you don't feel right, it's very hard to make your hand do the thing it needs to do, even if you know you probably are fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm just
2: thinking through it's probably the same thing for people in public speaking or yep. anything where anxiety picks up. Like usually, know you're fine, mm-hmm. but then it's just some
1: uncontrollable. It's it's, it's adrenaline starts pumping, and yeah. then you start getting flop sweat, and you start hyperventilating, and your vision narrows, yeah. and like these are all physiological. It's not. It's not mental. Yeah. These are, these are physical warning signs that your body is telling you that is something, that something is wrong.
0: And in your brain,
1: you're trying to go, nothing's wrong. It's fine. And your body's going, no, everything's wrong. (laughs) Everything's wrong all the time. Panic. 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 (laughs) And you're, so like you're, you're trying to just fight that panic that your body is like, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's hormones and it's, and it's, and it's adrenaline and it's hard to overcome that. Mm. Good stuff. If you had to, uh, if you had a a
2: billboard, they put anything on it to reach like millions, and billions of people. What would
1: you put on it? <laughs> I feel like based on this conversation, it should be. It's gonna be fine. Yeah. Um. I mean,
2: that's a good one. It's gonna be fine. That's actually a roll. Right?
1: Yeah. You want to roll with it? Yeah, we can roll with it. I like, I like for my, ma- for my money, the actual billboard I like right now, and uh, I like the "You Are Beautiful" billboards. Oh yeah, because like man, everyone's a real jerk right now. Yeah. <laughs> and like any, any kind of affirmation that people can get in their lives. I'm just, I'm pro affirmation at this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but pro- we can, we can roll with, it's going to be fine.
2: I mean, the affirmations are underrated as well. Yeah. Even I think the biggest one is yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've struggled with because, you know, I always try to make myself better by reading more or exercising, doing all these things. And you, and you're always hard on you have to be hard on yourself to get better at those things, and to, uh, you know, just better yourself in anything. You got to be really hard on yourself to battle, get to the next step, get to the next hump. You know what I mean? Sure. When it comes to challenge yourself, mm-hmm. so like that was always tough for me. And you know, when I picked up meditating, and a lot of people give you these affirmations, you using like the simple thing of it sounds weird to just telling yourself you love yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. it sounds weird, but it's just like, it's just, you are beautiful. Like that's, I think the biggest thing for people is, or it was for me is just like being, you don't want to be content with where you are. You always want to try to get better, Mm -hmm. but
1: you, but accept- you want to be
2: ha- yeah. You want to be happy with the state that
1: you're in as there, well. And I feel like there's a difference between contentment and acceptance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it, it's it, there's a big difference there. Like contentment is sloth. Contentment mm-hmm. is going to keep where keep you where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can but you can accept yourself and say and and accepting yourself is a big part of fighting contentment. Mm-hmm. I think because. Mm-hmm. I had to accept the fact that I probably wasn't going to make it as an actor. You know what I mean? Like, I I, I think one of the things I pride myself on is being relatively self-aware and knowing the things that I'm good at and knowing the things I'm not good at. And if I'm not good at something either trying to better myself in that aspect or finding somebody that's better that, at me that I can leverage their skills. That's
2: great life advice.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it, it And and a lot of that comes with contentment and that is nothing, or I'm sorry, acceptance. Mm-hmm. And none of that has to come with content mm-hmm. because if I was content with who I was, I wouldn't try to change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, I would, that's I would good. just, I would just say like, even if I didn't know something or I started rock climbing because I felt like shit because I was 33 and my body felt like I was 60. And you found something that was fun found plus exercise exactly, yeah. which I which I needed, and so now I feel better now at thirty seven than I did when I was twenty five. You are
2: beautiful, Josh.
1: You're beautiful, Ronnie. <laughs> um, but I but I had to you you have to accept that, and you have to say I yeah. feel like shit. Um, I'm going to work harder. Contentment would be well. I'm, I feel like shit, and this is just how it's going to be.
0: Mm.
2: That's I'm just thinking out loud here. I think that's where it gets lost in this whole. Um, how should I put this without offending anyone? Like, <laughs> you know, the whole um, when it comes to uh, what's the term they use, like overweight people. What, what what's it called when people like make fun of oh, overweight people? Like, uh, shaming body. Yeah, shaming? Fat, Yeah, fat shaming is okay. what they call it. Sure. So it's like. Where we get, it, it's the whole content or accept, like, some people, you know, you have this, like, it's almost like the far left and far right thing where sure. it's like you have the fat shaming. Anybody that gives people advice on how to improve themselves, eating healthy, exercise, they call it fat shaming. Like, the, you know what I mean? You, I see this. So, it's like, so what I'm saying, all I'm saying is, like, what when it, there's this acceptance; they should accept their, the position they're in, right? Mm-hmm. They should accept it because, like, just as anyone should accept the way they are, but you shouldn't be content with the way you are. It's like even that—that's how I kind of see that same thing when it comes to the whole fat shaming thing. Like, the people on each side—the far left and the far right of that whole ordeal, the whole fat shaming ordeal—are both sure. wrong. But it's like no one in the there's everyone in the middle who don't even want to comment and are thinking like, yeah, there's some things that th- these people could improve, but we you just don't want to encourage contentment. That's where I'm getting you know what I mean because I, I feel like sometimes I see what you're when saying when you do it, it encourages, and you can plug anything. It doesn't yeah have to I see that. Shame
1: well, and 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 so this goes back to the society and and where I am going with my you are beautiful because I'm. Fuck man, everybody's really mean right now uh, <laughs> yeah. in the world. Everyone's yeah. real terrible to each other. Um, yeah. My my point with that is, if we're going to use that as the example, we're going to use body shaming, fat shaming, whatever you mm-hmm. say. Is it comes down to like uh, intent and and uh, uh, tact, essentially? Like if you're coming to someone and you're con- it's someone you know, mm-hmm. and you're concerned about them. And you want to have a conversation and you have, you know, just a conversation of, look, man, you're overweight and this isn't a judgment on how you look as a person. It's a judgment on your health. Mm. Then we can have that conversation. But if it's just like somebody being a dick on Twitter and like calling some girl Uh. they don't know fat, they can go jump. You know what I mean? Like that. Like we need to start weeding that shit out. That is and the problem. You
2: get those assholes that you're talking about. That's the reason you want the sign is because there is a ton of people out there who are trying to out people because they.
1: Yeah. And it's not out. It's just being a dick. Yeah. Like, yeah, like what are we outing? Dick, like, yeah. you know, if, if you're, if you're overweight, um, and that's you're, and you're, are. and that's just who you are <laughs> yeah. and you're comfortable in your body at, at some point, I really don't give a shit. Yeah. Like I, I have my own, uh, uh, problems. Uh, in life that I have to deal with before I deal with you and if you don't even see it as a problem then okay, then that's awesome mm-hmm. go do you um, and if at some point you don't feel good anymore and you want to make a change that's the only way anything's going to make a change it can't be external yeah. like everyone calling someone heavy and fat and shit on Instagram is not going to make them go work out, it has to come from the inside because they don't feel good about themselves mm-hmm. anymore and uh, I don't know. Like I, I know, I can. I know I'm. I lean more toward the left, and I know I can be a little bit more yeah. crunchy than maybe necessarily most of the people I work with. Yeah, yeah. But um, it, it, there's there's just society, Societally, there's no need for it. To yeah. to to, to, to there, there's a difference between being concerned about someone and shaming. Mm. If you are shaming a person, yeah, nothing is nothing good will ever come from that. Not in anything Never. and it's just like yeah, um,
0: yeah.
1: and. and Just because, even if you have the conversation with someone, and you think you are doing them a service of saying, you know, you're heavy and and this is going to negatively affect your life. Mm -hmm. You also have to accept the idea that it it, it is not, if someone is offended by the way you say something, that's not on them, that's on you.
0: That that that.
1: That is on you. You are it is on you as a person giving the message that you have to be able to phrase the message in a way that is not offensive to somebody if you want them to react to it. And it's not their responsibility. That's why it's like the, uh, I'm sorry if you were offended. It's not their responsibility to be offended or not offended. It's your responsibility to craft your message in a way that's going to be received. We shouldn't always
2: be trying to get offended on everything too. You know what I mean?
1: Like the others.
2: Like, well, I there, feel like well, there's, there, yes there's
1: offended by something. Which a
2: is another problem. <laughs> million percent,
1: and and that's, I mean, we've talked about it before. This is yeah. why I left social media to begin with. Yeah. Um, because it's if you're trying to stay motivated, there's two. I feel like there's two ways to try to stay motivated, um, and one is to compartmentalize. And I know you guys like that uh, motivational guy. I forgot his name. The um, Marine David Goggins. David Goggins. Yeah. Um, He's clearly very good at compartmentalizing um, and just weeding out everything that is external.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not good at that. I, I like I'm if I'm having a bad day, I'm having a bad day. My wife like says I have like the worst. You know, if, if I'm having a bad day, it's on my face. Mm-hmm. If she says something and I don't like it, it's on my face. I know what she means a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think you do. Um, but I know I'm not good at compartmentalizing, so I have to weed out negativity that's non-essential on negativity, right? I I have to just weed all that shit out and one of the things that got weeded out was any and all social media because it wasn't making me happy and I think if people were a little bit more honest with themselves, they would also realize it probably is not making them happy either and if it wasn't making me happy and it's not bringing value, then what am I doing it for? Mm -hmm. So I just cut that shit out
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because it, it. to your point, Everyone is either out to troll or be trolled. Yeah. Everyone is either yeah. out to, to troll the left and to, to put extra exhaust on their car for whatever reason I don't know. Jordan Peterson, I was like, be a, either one's trying to be a victim or
2: victimize others. Yeah. You know, essentially. And it's it, like... I, I, no.
1: I don't, I, I don't have time for either. Uh, I don't have time for trolls or people that are just looking to be trolled. And... Uh, I have to be a father. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, sure. You talked about it a little bit and I know it's something you've worked on over the years uh, when it comes to like being stressed out and stuff. Like this is a stressful job. You have mm-hmm. a large book in business. Uh, you've gotten better at it over the years. But what are what's some things that you did do or... Um, Or are still doing? Like, what do you do when you get stressed out? Like, or or get upset, and you're letting your emotions get the best of you? Like, what are things you try to do?
1: Yeah, I have to remove myself. So, like, I'll go into a side room and just like take some deep breaths. Um, I try, even if I'm having a good day, I try to get outside for about 30 minutes a day, um, just to not look at my computer and and unplug a little and reset. I have a I have a route that goes straight up uh, over that Snake Bridge in the Mm Millennium Park. I go up there. I'm back. It's like 30 minutes a day. I've got it almost down to the minute. Um, mean you
2: do similar things, yeah. For sure. Like I, I feel like you have to get away out of the office mm-hmm. and just get your mind off of it, so you can come back with a mm-hmm. fresh mindset on it. Get some yep. fresh
0: air, yeah. Like
2: fresh get some not, not
1: air conditioned air, you know. Better lighting, yeah. yeah. yeah sun, maybe some vitamin D, yeah. yeah. Um, I and mean, just just to remove myself, that's what I have to do at some point. Like mm-hmm. if I, if I can feel. Anxiety, if I can feel stress rising, I have to just remove myself, go and step away and take deep breaths until I can bring it back down uh, because it can become overwhelming. And if I'm just sitting there spinning in it, like my my wife knows, like when I, if I have too much time to my own thoughts, it's not a good thing, you know, like, because I'll just sit and spin and spin and spin and spin and spin. Um, And I have to just like remove myself from it, take myself out of the cycle or it's nothing gets done.
2: I mean, you've understood yourself and you know how to, you know, work, work your way around it. And that's, you know, taking, I try, taking a yeah. yeah, it's
1: better than smashing a phone, which was, and you've you you year yeah. one or two, Josh smashed a phone or two in his day. And
2: then just the start of when you first, when I first joined the team, you've gotten it seems you've gotten better over the, you know, you barely have any type of, you know, <laughs> outbreak. <laughs> Thanks, <Yeah>. pal. <laughs> so you're doing a good job at it. Thank you. We can uh, we can end off with this. If you had to, uh, what's some advice like? If you had to go back and give. 2013 Josh some advice to start out his career or, or some advice you'd give to a new associate like what's some couple things it could be life <laughs> advice it could be apply to their actual career or both
1: the one was definitely go outside I started doing that like two or three years in and if I had done that in year one maybe it would have saved a few funds yeah um, just uh, like just take a walk 30 yeah minutes.
2: take a walk yeah. just yeah. get yeah. outside yeah. like Let's you go. just, just take, out. take a good advice a lot of people hour. don't use it we try to it's kind of that thing. I was that intent, mm-hmm. you know, acceptance and intent, and always trying to improve yourself. Yeah, it's like we get in this thing where we think we have to skip lunch and do all this crazy stuff where we work the entire yeah. day and don't take breaks. And
1: I think if you're if you're working productively, you're going to get it done <laughs> with with that half hour. Like you know, you're you're yeah,
0: you're,
1: you're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, if you're not working productively, then maybe. Yeah. Um, I think from a sales perspective, purely, it's just I've learned. A, a lot more how to speak more to the customer's needs than my own. I think when you first start off, it's very much like, wow, what, what shipments you got this week, pal? What's on your docket? Mm. Just how much can I get from you? And I feel like I've gotten better even leading conversations uh, with trying to get more of what they need than what I need. Mm. Um, and leading with capacity and leading with uh, just things that they necessarily need rather than, you know, this is Josh and I would like to learn a little bit more about your shipping operations yeah, because yeah. nobody's got time for that.
2: Because <laughs> I've heard you on a few calls. I mean, you're just trying to sound less like a salesman, that sales mm-hmm. voice and sales pitch and more just being that yeah. value provider. and Just like seeking, simply seeking to understand the, the other human. Yeah, They are humans on the other That's, side of the phone. Nobody wants what to talk they're to a salesman. Thinking, you know, or what, what they, you know... Yeah, what they're thinking on the other side. Like, yeah. what are they? You know, what's the reason they're in that position? Yeah. What are they trying to accomplish?
1: Right? They want to talk to people. They don't want to talk to a sales guy. Yeah, that's good. So
2: that,
1: that's, thats it. That's be a, be a person. Yeah. Be be a good person. Be a good person. Take breaks. Take, take breaks. <laughs> take be, take <laughs> breaks. Be a good person.
2: I like it. Well, we can end it off there, Josh. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ronnie. Right. Good talk, man.
1: Good talk, pal. <laughs>